Welcome to episode 14 of the Lady Science Podcast. This podcast is a monthly deep dive on topics centered on women and gender in the history and popular culture of science. With you every month are the editors of Lady Science Magazine. I'm Anna Reeser, co-founder and co-editor-in-chief of Lady Science. I'm a writer, editor, and PhD student studying 20th century American culture and the history of the American space program in the 1960s. I'm Layla McNeil, the other founder and editor-in-chief of Lady Science. I'm a historian of science and freelance writer with words in various places on the internet. I'm currently a regular writer on women in the history of science at smithsonianmag.com. And I'm Rebecca Ortenberg, Lady Science's managing editor. When I'm not working with the Lady Science team, I can be found writing about museums and public history around the internet and managing social media for the Science History Institute in Philadelphia. So for this episode, we asked our listeners on social media to send us some of the most absurd, most Silicon Valley-ish tech that they could find. The suggestions you gave us did not disappoint, so we'll be going through some of those today. Um, we're pretty excited about this. Before we do that, uh, we just, as usual, have a little bit of housekeeping. Um, first of all, if you're a librarian on Twitter, you might have seen that we're doing a special blog series about feminist librarianship and technology. Uh, I feel like, as far as I could tell, every librarian on Twitter may have seen it, which is awesome. <laughs> I think maybe at this point, even the ones not on Twitter could have seen it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in this series, you'll be hearing from librarians, preservationists, information technology professionals, and practitioners in related fields about how intersectional feminist perspectives can impact stewardship of information and information technology, um, especially at this moment when technology is really rapidly changing the field. So uh, as implied before, we were seriously impressed by the number of people who shared our call for pitches. So thank you to Librarian Twitter for getting the word out. Uh, and uh, we will be running the series in December, January-ish. So uh, look out for that. And I have a little thing that I've been working on and will continue to work on. Um, I'm putting together a series of bonus episodes for this podcast. Um, I'll be talking with women scientists from different fields to discuss how intersectional feminism shapes the work that they do. Um, I've already done a couple of interviews that cover issues of feminism in sociology and anthropology, and I'll be doing more. Um, and I'm going to be releasing these episodes as bonus episodes. Um, they're not going to be, you know, on a set schedule like our monthly episodes are. So be sure that you're subscribed to um, the Lady Science podcast and wherever you get your podcasts um, to make sure that you're not missing any episodes. Um, and I think that's it. So we're going to just dive in. Um, so uh, like Rebecca mentioned, we're going to be um, going over some... Um, Silicon Valley tech stuff today. Um, <laughs> and we had some people send us some stuff. And so this first one um, comes from uh, Risa Chroma. Um, and she sent us a list of uh, pregnancy technology from wearable.com. And uh, this list with different types of tech um, are for specifically pregnant people. And we won't go through all the devices mentioned in the list. Um, I'll put it in the show notes so you can find it there if you want to see them all. But we do want to point out a couple of notables. So the first one uh, that I wanted to pull out of this list is called Belly Buds. 
and it is a baby bump sound system. The device features two speakers that attach to the mother's stomach and can play music in recorded messages from the parents. The copy on the website says, quote, whether it's a soothing tune or a bond-forming message, Belly Buds is a safe and effective first step in connecting your soon-to-be bundle of joy. <laughs> Easy to use, discreet, and good on the go, Belly Buds works anywhere, anytime. This thing costs $40, <laughs> and it's basically headphones. And um, if you ever want to go to the website to look at the pictures, um, they're like the actual like things that adhere to the baby bump are like these large green oval shaped things. And so this idea of them being discreet, I'm really not quite sure because they're, they are rather large and they do stick <laughs> out. So I'm not really quite sure. I mean, unless you're wearing like a muumuu or something, I'm not really quite sure how you're not going to see them underneath your clothes. But I mean, that's not the only criticism I'm sure we can have of something like this, but that's the one that I thought of. <laughs> I was I just going to... I was just going to say, if, if you're going to, like, call, if you're going to say discreet is one of the reasons you need this and not normal headphones, you might as well, that might as well be true. <laughs> right. I mean, I was just going to say, oh, it's only $40. Maybe I should get this instead of uh, iPhone headphones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder how they work as normal headphones. I mean, <laughs> so they, like, stick to your belly, right? So that you can really pipe the um baby einstein whatever in there or your mozart directly yeah. into the amniotic fluid right so that way you can <laughs> pop out a genius uh yeah. <laughs> that's definitely how it works because like i know that my plants are really smart and i play them classical music all the time <laughs> yeah and i think um i'm looking it up just to check myself on this but um, I believe that it connects, of course, I mean, I don't think I really need to check myself on this, but it goes through their app, which doesn't everything go through the company's app of course. now. Of course. And um, yeah, so you record and you can record your own messages. So if you want to tell your fetus how much you love it and how much you're looking forward to it arriving um, and start calling it sport and champ early, then I guess you can go ahead and do that. Okay, so well, I have two thoughts then about that. Do like, what kind of information are they getting from the app? Like, are they making databases of what kind of music parents play for their child when it's still in utero? And then uh, also, you have like a voice notes app on your phone already, and just put put headphones on the thing. I think the like. This kind of thing is maybe not as, like, obviously sinister as some of the other stuff we might have chosen to talk about, but it's also this idea that, like, you have to, if you want to be a good parent, you have to, you have to be, like, actively trying to improve your baby before it's even born, and, like, there's some creepy stuff there <laughs> where, like, on the one hand, it's playing the Mozart, on the other hand, it's, like, Maybe you're taking certain kinds of drugs or something to make your baby bigger, faster, stronger. I don't know. <laughs> like, there's just, like, a, I feel like it's just weird to think about 
going beyond just sort of like eating healthy or whatever to take care of your baby, like all these enhancements mm-hmm. that you're expected to do. Yeah. And I, okay. So the, the app specifically is a voice share app and, uh, it allows you to like, I guess, have like a library of the stuff that you're recording and wanting to play for your baby. So I guess you can just like, you know, you can say good night. Yeah. Like like make a playlist. (laughs) Um, if you wanted to just like, I guess, have these things adhered to your stomach all the time and just constantly, you know, playing things. But, um, and you can also access their free digital library of stuff. So (laughs) if that speaks to any of your concerns, Anna. (laughs) Indeed it does. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So maybe you're putting, you know, maybe you're saying goodnight to your baby before you go to sleep every night, but uh, maybe this company is telling your fetus some other stuff. I don't know. <laughs> it's like ads. Yeah. <laughs> like Wait. the ads for like oh, kids God. cartoons and stuff oh, and kids God. apps on the on the <laughs> tablet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I one of the and this will become more obvious with the other ones that we're gonna talk about. Like one of the reasons that I chose to talk about the ones we're gonna talk about today is because like I personally am uh, incredibly, increasingly uncomfortable with our compliance with self-surveillance and offering up that data to other people. Um, Not just people, but obviously corporations. Uh, And so that was one of the reasons that I chose the particular ones to talk about today. But um, that was something, that is something that like gives me kind of the creeps about a lot of these things is that it's this idea of having an easier, more connected life, like, is not so much about access as it is about surveillance. And that really creeps me out on, like, an existential yeah. level. <laughs> and, and like, to kind of both connect uh, Anna's earlier point about, like, you have to do everything to make your baby the perfect baby. Uh, and, and what you guys are saying now, it's, it's like, it comes out of this thing that is a pretty innocuous cliche that, hey, play Mozart for your baby. It's easy. All you have to do is, like, when you're hanging out at home, put a Mozart CD in, um, and then your baby might be smarter. That sounds, like, fine. Um, and it's saying, well, let's find a way to make this so that, like, yeah, someone is tracking you a little bit, that you have to buy a dedicated thing for it that uh, it becomes, like, part of a whole status thing, which, of course, things like, like, play music for your baby already is moving in, had moved into that realm. Uh, But it just, yeah, it combines this idea that, like, you need a magical special app for everything and the need to, like, create the most high-status baby. Right. I mean, yeah, this totally, like, (laughs) all of this stuff totally breaks down along class lines and racial lines oh, like yeah. this is yeah this is bananas and like i looked i think at the website for like every single one of the things we're going to talk about today and it's plastered with pictures of white people and white mothers and white families and like um i think that that clearly speaks to how these things are drawn on racial lines that these types of things to make you the best mother that you can or to you know, tweak your fetus <laughs> to become the best newborn it can be. I don't know. Um, that those are things that are, you know, the realm of, of, of wealthy white people. 
Okay, shall we move on to more creepiness? <laughs> it gradually gets more creepy. Yes, <laughs> you, you set this up in this way to really lead us into dystopia, Layla. <laughs> I also love the names of all of these. Um, the next one is called Ultra Stan from the company called, I swear to God, Bleep Bleeps. It uses ultrasound to record videos and sounds of a fetus, and like nearly everything else on the planet, it is connected to an app on your phone. The device is still in development, so it doesn't have a price tag yet, but I can imagine that it's going to be pretty absurd. Yeah. To make this stranger yet, though, um, in an interview with Wired, uh, the founder and creative director of Bleep Bleeps talked talked about the ultrastan, and... He had a really strange thing to say about it. Um, Quote, This is not about world domination. We want to be loved and useful. End quote. Okay, okay, so so maybe, maybe, there was some other context um, before they started talking about world domination and there was just like an awkward editor thing happened where we only got this context, but that's like best case scenario here. Um pretty weird to bring up world domination in relation to a piece of pregnancy technology under any circumstances. I mean, (laughs) it is weird to do it in an interview with Wired, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) like, I I feel like people have been scheming toward world domination with pregnancy or reproductive technology for a while now. Yeah, and, like, I don't know how that would come up organically, like, (laughs) like, how the idea of, I don't know what kind of question you could have, like, before that, that would lead someone to be like, hey, hey, I'm not talking about world domination here. (laughs) Well, and I think that, like, one of the things that bothers me about this one, other than the fact that, like, those 3D ultrasound images that you can have now, like, those the creepy 3D baby faces, like, kind of really give me the creeps. Uh, That (laughs) that issue aside is that, again, this is taking surveillance to yet just, like, a whole new level of now you're not just surveilling yourself as the mother-to-be, but you're now surveilling your fetus as well. Um... So, yeah, that's a little, that's a little icky to me. Yeah. I can't imagine that, um, (laughs) I mean, sure this is true always, but, like, I can't imagine like this that doctors are particularly fond of it, because, I mean, like, goodness knows, like, the medical profession is often terrible to pregnant women, and women often have to advocate for themselves, uh, and that's good. But I can imagine at a certain point you're going to have people just, like, harassing their doctors all the time who have something like this, just being like, so the baby looks different. And the doctor's like, yes, that happens. (laughs) (laughs) And while that's a minor thing, I can just see it, like, really disrupting, like, doctor-patient relationships, like, even further. I can see it disrupting a person's mental health. Yes, like, if you yeah. have the tools to constantly surveil yes. your uh, fetus and there's already so much pressure on mothers and a whole industry dedicated to making uh, 
mothers feel like they're bad and you yeah. won't be good unless you do this one special magic thing. Um, that this uh, introduces another factor into that equation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also uh, not that I'm in the habit of like, defending the medical establishment uh but it's it's also true that interpreting uh images like ultrasound images right. or other kinds of like uh instrumentally created images like this like takes training like there are a lot of things about images like this that are not intuitive so something that you uh, you know a mother-to-be who doesn't know how to look at an ultrasound image it might look to you to be like something that you interpret as a problem or whatever, but that like uh, people who are trained to see that, to look at those kinds of images, know that that's like an artifact of the instrumentation or uh, related to something else. Um, so related to this like uh, mental health thing, like it's going to be even worse when you just don't even know what it is you're looking at and you're making a bunch of assumptions um, from partial knowledge of how to even use these images and like uh, you know maybe there's a way to democratize that knowledge a little bit more but uh, I think I think you're right Layla that this could just really really be like harmful in that sense of like you're just operating a little out of your depth I guess with this yeah. and then and then being told that like if you don't use things like this, tools like this, that you're just probably not equipped to use. <laughs> Why would you be? Right. You didn't go to medical school uh, and you're doing it wrong or it just is a huge mess, I think. <laughs> it's like you, you shouldn't have to interpret your own medical data. Like whether it's because an app is telling you you should or because like the medical profession is forcing you to by not like giving you the services you need. Like there's there's a reason why we should have a system where people don't feel like they are forced to do that because that's not going to lead anywhere good. Okay. I just realized, I, is this supposed to be pronounced cardio but with a Q? Cardio uh, base? Yeah, I think it's still <laughs> said cardio, yeah. Why? I mean, that would be like a good Scrabble word, but... It's not real. That's not how you write word. Okay, so the cardio base, Q-A-R-D-I-O, cardio base wireless smart scale. Even <laughs> the name sounds dystopian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's a scale that measures all kinds of things about you that you probably don't want to know, like your weight, your body mass index, your muscle mass, fat percentage bone and water composition so that you can really just contemplate um that spooky skeleton that's inside us all <laughs> um so it has all kinds of like feedback things because of the smart scale so when you you get a smiley face when you stay on track for your fitness and weight loss goals um it also has a specific pregnancy mode that you can turn on and in pregnancy mode you can track Moms can track weekly progress and their trimesters. They can add pictures to their numerical data. Um, there, So there's not really like a whole lot of detail about what exactly pregnancy mode does other than 
quote, care for you and your baby, which is also horrifying. <laughs> and this thing costs $149.99, which is, I think, a considerable chunk of money for a scale. <laughs> yeah. And it also, <laughs> yeah. of course, connects to your app. And so you can track all of those types of things on your your phone. And in some of the pictures on the website, it had like a mother and father like sitting on a couch, like smiling and looking at the app, like they're going over their body data together. Like at the end, no. of the, you know, at the end of a hard work day, don't you just want to sit down with your partner and go over your like body right. weight data? <laughs> yeah, that sounds like lots of fun. <laughs> Super sexy. <laughs> Look at my bone composition today, honey. I mean, yeah. I I have never owned a scale <laughs> because it would negatively impact my uh, mental health. Um, but this scale, wow. It reminds me of the Peter Thiel body scanner. It's sort of like a lower deck version yes. of that. Yeah. You're just yeah. confronted with every kind of measurement um, we have come up with about bodies and every kind of like scale of normalcy. And I think, I'm not sure someone could correct me on this, but I think that like some of these scales of like measurement on here, like, pro- like probably like conflict with each other, right? Like a normal yeah. BMI versus like muscle percentage and stuff. Like <laughs> it's just throwing like a bunch of measurement at you to seem very like scientific and uh comprehensive i guess yeah Yeah. uh like just quantifying every single thing about your body that you absolutely can and again like another thing that introduces yet another thing for pregnant people to worry about is i mean I I have never been pregnant. I don't plan on being pregnant. Um, but it's not, you know, there for it's it's not because of no reason that in popular culture and in movies and TV and stuff, there's women who are pregnant constantly worried about their weight. Um, there's a reason why after a celebrity gives birth in the magazines, it's always like here's the post baby workout because despite going through the process of pregnancy in which your body must gain weight to su- supply sustenance to the thing inside of you, <laughs> that there's still so much pressure to be a cute, thin, pregnant woman, you know? Yeah. Um, and this just, again, introduces another thing into the equation for an expectant mother to worry about. Yeah, yeah and this, so- like... Oh, I was yeah. going to say, some Terrible of these things. <laughs> uh, we don't usually like, have this much problem with crosstalk. We don't. I don't know what the problem is. Uh, <laughs> we've gotten like a pretty good rhythm down. Um, <laughs> so some of these things, like, this kind of goes back to the thing um, from our, our the previous stuff we were talking about, uh, that it's like, what does what does my bone and water composition tell me about my body? I don't know. I don't know if those are even like real numbers that like a medical <laughs> professional would care about or understand. Um, I certainly don't. And like 
yeah, it's, again, it's like an, it's one more thing to uh, quantify yourself and give you information that then you can maybe stress out about because, oh no, I like have too much water weight? Like what is, what are you going to do with that information? Which is of course, with so much of this like data collection stuff, like self-surveillance stuff never stops and thinks about is like, what use is this information? And if, if it is of no use, then it's probably just going to freak you out. I have too much bones. <laughs> <laughs> does that i mean i don't know does that change on a regular basis like what the hell well i mean i guess that does like when you like get older or if you have like already yes. like a like bone disease or something like that right. but i mean in that case you shouldn't be self-diagnosing no, exactly. yourself you should be seeing a medical professional that yes. you know specializes in those sorts of things like yeah i don't i don't understand how this uh like m- medically like gives you information that could be useful other than i mean and i i've used these smart scales before and you know the first thing i look at is the weight like that's just yeah. That's that's the number that you care about when you get a scale is how much you weigh. <laughs> that is that is the thing. So you can add all of these bells and whistles to it. And at the end of the day, it's people worrying about what their body looks like and how much they weigh. <laughs> yeah, I think and- that. Go ahead. Wow. Wow. We're being <laughs> we're being super rude to each other tonight, you guys. <laughs> we're just really frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> Should have known what we're doing. Each other. (laughs) Should have known what you're doing with this episode. (laughs) Yeah, I was just gonna say that uh, it's the same thing as um, interpreting images from instruments. Like these kind of measurements, like there's just numbers that don't mean anything without like a whole context, and it's a whole context that I don't know, like it or not, people go to medical school to like learn about and learn how to interpret this kind of data and like. You can collect all the numbers you want about yourself. Um, you also have to have, you have to be able to build a context and like around those numbers for them to be meaningful in any way. And I think, unfortunately, what Layla says is right about the number that is probably most important is the weight number. And we do have a context that floats yes. around about that number and how to interpret it. And it's super harmful. And, like, that's, you know, like you said, at the bottom of all of this is the scale. And we have, in this country, a really bad problem with, like, uh, cultures of weight loss. Um, And it specifically impacts women. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think another thing that bothers me about so much of this um, pregnancy monitoring technology is that it moves the goalposts for the people who want to argue personhood for a fetus. Yeah. Um, Because we've seen that happen with um, the 3D ultrasounds. Every time that there's a new type of tech introduced for pregnancy specifically, those goalposts get moved even more. And I think that that can be 
uh, it can be dangerous. And I think in in some cases it has been helpful in the sense that once you had at-home pregnancy tests and so many women saw how often they could get pregnant and then miscarry, that that opened up a whole new understanding of what it meant, of what miscarriage meant and what being pregnant could mean. Um, So, you know, just (laughs) women miscarry all of the time and they don't even know it. And one of the things that helped us figure that out was kind of self-monitoring through home pregnancy tests. In that case, that was somewhat helpful (laughs) because it helped us have a different conversation that we needed to have. Um, But on the other end of that spectrum, you have people that are um, trying to take away the rights of, of, of women and the rights of mothers um, because they want to argue a personhood debate about a fetus. And this type of technology, I think, uh, is just more fodder for their arguments. Not to say that it's evidence. That's not what I said, just so we're clear. I did not say it was evidence yeah. for their argument. I said it was fodder yeah. for their argument. Yeah. Well, because, like, the the argument is so much based on this, like, gut reaction to the idea of what a fetus is. So that's why so much you get these conversations like, oh, well, they have fingernails at this at this stage and all of that. So, <laughs> um, so, so much of it is based around, like, some kind of, like, gut feeling about what a baby looks like and then how close the fetus is to how the baby looks. Right. And the more and more data and, like, visualizations we have that make fetuses more and more baby-like in, like, just our gut reaction when we see it, the more that people are kind of push this emotional idea of, of personhood based on, yeah, how close they are to babyish. It's almost like anthropomorphizing, but not. You know what I mean? Like, it's a similar type of thing we're imposing on something else. Yes. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a really good comparison. Yeah. Um... Well, I guess the the pregnancy scale is uh, actually a good segue into our talking about uh, Silicon Valley and weight loss and dieting, um, which they don't like to call it that, by the way. Um, it's <laughs> Dieties for ladies. <laughs> yeah, it's body <laughs> hacking. Um, so to me, the, the, the products and services and devices and stuff that come out of Silicon Valley for um, dieting and weight loss are probably some of the most horrific things (laughs) I've seen in my life uh, when it comes to technology. Um, We've talked about a couple of these before, um, like Soylent, the meal replacement that gave people fire shits, um, (laughs) that 3D body scanner and scale that Anna mentioned. Um, and recently, Amanda Mull uh, wrote a great essay in The Atlantic called The Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger Language of Dieting. And I'll put that in the show notes, and you definitely need to read that. Um, the companies who push these products don't associate themselves with the diet industry, um, which has traditionally been a feminized market. So instead, she argues that these new health companies associate weight loss as, quote, a problem of personal technology where losing weight isn't an experience of self-deprivation, but one of optimization, not unlike increasing a year-old iPhone's battery life or building a car that runs without gas. 
So you can probably guess who those types of products and devices are meant for. They're for men. Um, so while women are focusing on weight loss, men can focus on hacking their system for optimal performance. And it's the same concept of the diet industry, except you have technology stirred in. Um, and these things are just about as unregulated unregul as the diet industry. Um, Mole points out that one of the dangers of this is that, quote, if people internalize the idea that changing your body should be as simple and necessary as cleaning up old files on your laptop, then the stakes for those who don't or can't do it easily become even more severe. There is a degree to which, like, obviously, the, like, women-focused traditional weight loss industry, um many people still buy into that and it's still terrible but it's like it's been around long enough and we've all been interrogating it long enough that there's some awareness of like the problems of it and uh and you know so we have things like eating disorders and we talk about that in relation to weight loss not as much as we should but like it's there where this in some ways by in, like it's almost like it's avoiding the entire health angle entirely and therefore feels like it's falling even further away from like an ability to be like maybe some like people aren't making healthy choices because it's about optimization and mm -hmm. um and like this and technology uh and not even about like health in the sort of pseudo way that that weight loss usually is geared towards now. Yeah, and I think that's an important point, is that um, the diet industry has been so contaminated by quote-unquote pseudoscience that when you have these products coming out and saying, you know, having technology bells and whistles, tech language coming from yes. a tech hub, um, a lot of them will say backed by science in various ways or whatever, right. is that it lends it more of a veneer of scientific legitimacy than the so-called pseudoscience of the diet industry. So not only have they like placed themselves in opposition to the diet industry as far as gender goes, but also in terms of the way that we talk about them, the framing that we use to give them legitimacy. Um, and which can actually be even more damaging to people who buy into this lifestyle because you're less likely to listen to a doctor or right. even a friend or a loved one who cares about you and does not think that these things are good ideas for you. And then right. you can say, but here it is proved by science. Yeah. So on the, the gendered aspect of this, I was thinking about our episode about, um, things men have believed about women's bodies. And the fundamental thing that men have believed about women's bodies is that they are fundamentally flawed and they're broken. So like diet culture for women is about, you know, battling your sort of damaged or flawed or broken body to sort of shape it into something that's acceptable. Whereas yeah. like, biohacking and all of this nonsense is for men is about like fine tuning the, <laughs> the Ferrari that is your God given dude body or whatever. Like it's a, <laughs> it's like a really clear, like, 
dichotomy between women's bodies are bad and need to be uh, fixed and molded and stuff, and men's bodies are perfectly fine and can be improved infinitely uh, into yeah. superhuman uh, abilities if you like microdose uh, psilocybin at work or whatever. Uh, and fast a lot, I guess. That seems to be now the thing yeah. we're doing. Right. Yeah. And the way that – I think we talked about this in one of the other episodes um, with the, the fasting um, where he was talking about hacking his his body, hacking his system or whatever. And one of the things he, like, was very um, – uh, made a very big point about was that it wasn't to lose weight. It was just that that happened right. to be a nice side effect. It was more about, like, fine-tuning his mind and whatever. But that's, to me, that's just horseshit because all of these things come back to no matter what you're optimizing, whether it's through optimization or deprivation, it's, it comes back down to trying to get people to fit into a normal type of physicality. And I think it's actually even more dangerous for men because this kind of like biohacking optimization sort of dialogue that's happening is so different from and insulated from even the very sort of basic baby steps we're making into like body positivity and stuff for women but like this conversation about men who are fasting not to lose weight like because it's been sort of consciously removed from that discussion like um it makes it harder for for men to even have like uh to receive the kind of like uh, that kind of dialogue to get out of that system. Like there's just like, it's completely separated from that. So if you are not able to optimize your system and you are not able to accidentally lose weight the way that these uh, startup founders are or whatever, you don't have any like um, social infrastructure or safety net where you can kind of like begin to interrogate that and and think about it structurally the way that we're starting to do that for women. But like, uh, basically if you aren't able to optimize your bod, then you failed and you don't have any way to fight back against that at all. You just failed and you don't fit in with what is like in this country, like a very elite male culture. This is supposed to be like, these are the, the top of the pyramid, right? Everybody wants to be, uh, Jeff Bezos. Right, you want to be a billionaire. Cool. <laughs> I mean, not you. <laughs> but yeah. that's the like that's the new like I'm talking like yeah. really widely culturally now like that's like the yeah. new American dream, right? Be sure. a startup founder, and make a million dollars. Sure. Yeah. And part of that is like a an a bodily practice that you're now expected to adhere to, and if you don't get the same benefits that other people seem to be getting from it. It's because you failed, not because you were entangled in some kind of uh, cult-like <laughs> uh, structural fad that is sweeping through men's minds. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I think in, in the same way that you can't divide uh, women's um, uh, dieting culture from the history of men thinking terrible things about women's bodies and thinking women's bodies are inherently broken... You, you can't divide this kind of technology from essentially toxic masculinity and ideas of, of becoming the ideal man. And, and if you fail at becoming the ideal man in various ways, then, then you are a, a failure as a human being. 
Right. Um, let's look at some of these. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, God, these are so weird. Um, so one example of this product is Habit, um, which is a nutrition food service that focuses on your personal gut microbes, which is all kinds of weird. Um, so it also involves like you testing yourself and giving a lot of data away. They ask you to take a saliva sample and three blood tests performed at intervals while you drink one of their nutrition shakes. And then you give them the data, and they use it to create an individualized food plan. So, and there's also a DNA collection part of this, I guess. So, um, this is kind of combining the DNA collection of something like 23andMe, which is supposed to, like, tell you all of your, like, health stuff, um, and, uh... A popular food delivery, like HelloFresh, because I guess it, it comes straight to you. Yep. This is so a according- horrible startup Voltron. <laughs> it is! Bad it's ideas. like they put, they put all of the startups in a blender and said, give me the worst version. <laughs> so according to this article in Inc., the company goal is to, quote, help people unlock the best version of themselves through nutrition at an intuitive level. There are various tiered levels of this service, because of course there are. Um, The top tier, which is the one that includes the DNA test and the guided weight loss program, is a whopping $299. So first of all, uh, (laughs) Jamie Lee Curtis told me all I had to do was eat yogurt to fix my biome. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, have you seen her lately? She looks great so yeah I'm, if that's what she's doing point. i want the jamie lee curtis microbiome plan <laughs> she didn't ask for my dna i know also yeah. like yogurt's kind of tasty and this probably these food shakes are gross not even food i bet i bet yogurt is better food <laughs> so anything that you have to call food whatever food shake <laughs> right. so the shakes yeah. that they give you when you start the program are supposed they're like uh really just high dense calorie uh shakes um so like you do a shake then you do a blood test you drink a shake do a blood test so that they can try to determine how your bo- your individual body metabolizes that dense caloric uh food product <laughs> um <laughs> and then the food delivery service at least from the website looked like like food like okay. actual food okay <laughs> Fine. Not that I'm defending them, just saying. I think that that actually, it looks like actual food. So I have two questions. That's First, it. just the two. two. <laughs> there is nothing intuitive about this. Like, <laughs> someone is writing up this hugely detailed profile and then sending you food. It's like easy, I guess, for you if you do the service because you don't have to like go grocery shopping or whatever. But intuitive is not the word that I don't, I I hate this like ugh, startup language. What does that even mean? That doesn't mean anything. Also, uh, I would like to add while we're talking about all these things that are asking for like uh, your your saliva and your blood and I guess your firstborn child, <laughs> maybe. I did read the terms and services on the pregnancy apps. Um, is <laughs> to actually the read the terms and agreements on these. If you if you want to use one, if you feel like you must, 
actually read them on the types of things that are actively collecting your data. The things that the service relies on your data collection, be sure you know what they're doing with it because when that like stuff with the Golden State Killer came out and people were like, oh my God, they're using our DNA from these things. And it's like, it's in the terms and services. Yeah. Like it's in yeah. there. It wasn't a sneaky thing. It's just, we don't read them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and be wary of like phrases like anonymized data because uh, that is increasingly being shown to not be particularly anonymous. And if you think about it for five minutes, the DNA is inherent, like, a, and to be fair, I'm not a scientist. I don't know exactly how these things work. But like, DNA is the least anonymous thing I feel like out there. The other thing that I think we should probably spend more time talking about is, yes, don't give your personal information to corporations because that infringes on your personal autonomy. But also don't give corporations access to, even if it is truly anonymized, like biomedical data about yourself because you know what they use that for? To form databases for profiling people. Like, yeah. if, like that's how like yeah. um, facial recognition surveillance uh, systems work is hundreds and thousands and thousands of pictures that you train the uh like the machine learning on you can do that with all kinds of information your dna whatever they're taking out of your blood first of all there's a lot of stuff in your blood <laughs> why are you mailing your blood to somebody don't mail your blood to people <laughs> the last time i had three blood tests was because i had like a seizure like this is this is super invasive. Yeah. 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 This is well, insane. Yeah. Anna, would you like, I know you've been looking forward to the Juicero <laughs> all day. I just, I'm really glad you gave me this one because I, it gave me a chance to rewatch this awesome video about it. But I, I just realized, so um, Sarah sent us this and I don't know how to pronounce Sarah's last name. It's uh, Safavi. Okay, Sarah Spotty sent us this uh, about, um, she just reminded us, in case we had forgotten, I'll never forget, uh, about <laughs> the, the Juicero, which was this, like, ridiculous $400, you know, basically Keurig for vegetable juice. And you had to order, you know, like, a subscription to the juice, and they'd send you them. Um, and it's basically just a bunch of diced up fruit and vegetables in, like, this plastic packet, and you put it in the machine, and then the machine squows the packet and the juice comes out. Um, and But the juice packets had DRM, so you could only use Juicero branded ones. Because yeah. if you put anything else in there, the machine wouldn't turn on. And it had to be connected to Wi-Fi so that, I guess, uh, Juicero could like collect data about when you make juice and what kind <laughs> of juice you make and stuff. <laughs> so they can send you targeted advertisements about. Right their juice i'm assuming i'm assuming it wasn't any more sinister than that but you know probably <laughs> uh, <laughs> the thing i love about this one is um we'll put a link to this video in the show notes but this engineer got a hold of one of these and he took it apart it is incredibly overbuilt like <laughs> all of the individual components are absolutely like the highest quality uh possible for those individual components like fully vulcanized rubber and like these beautifully made like injection molds that are like extremely excellent and it has like um 
it's like it really overpowered because like the thing about this is that they you can like squeeze the juice packets with your hand like you don't like <laughs> the machine does not do anything that you can't do yourself but it can it, like the motor inside of it can exert like an incredible amount of force and like all the components are really heavy duty like machine from like a uh, like solid block of aluminum and stuff the video is great and so we'll post that but like the fact that it was made of such incredibly high quality parts um, to do something that you can like do with your own hands, um, I'm assuming is a big reason why the company went under in 16 months. Um, <laughs> and of course, despite being such a massive failure and the laughing stock of the internet, like the Juicero founder Doug Evans was still able to secure. $120 million in investments from Google Ventures, Kleiner Perkins, Cofield and Byers, Campbell Soup. It's like <sighs> nobody knows how to fall up quite like someone who designs an incredibly overwrought juicer <laughs> and then goes out yeah, of business. Someone named Doug Evans. <laughs> I watched somebody, uh, a video of somebody cutting open one of the packets and it like, I guess it was... It looked like it was just carrots, like just like liquidy <laughs> carrots. And they opened it up and was just like doing like squeezing it with their hands. And like that was that was it. And it looked well, it looked disgusting. But like for something being so incredibly overbuilt, like juicers already existed. Like Jack LaLanne had been juicing since like 1900. Like I had a Jack LaLanne juicer from the 90s and it still worked. And it. And I can tell you, I know how that juicer works, and it did not need all of this. It goes back to the whole Silicon Valley reinventing things thing. Uh, I I feel like where it's like let's let's make juicing cool again and also absurd. And I think the it wasn't like if I remember the way it was advertised and stuff. It wasn't about like that they have like amazing juices with like. Um, hard to find ingredients and that they're like optimized with supplements or anything it's literally just like a bunch of chopped up fruit in a bag <laughs> and that like this right. this right. edifice that would sit on your counter <laughs> and connect to the internet and sort of like i think it has a light in it and sort of pulse at you <laughs> menacingly is you like need that when you're making juice yeah some kind of like status symbol <laughs> It's so absurd that you're like, it must have been doing something else that we never knew about. Like, you know, surveilling us, or it was like an alien technology a la a Doctor Who episode, and it was the way the aliens were going to take over, or something. <laughs> I think it's also like, uh, I think the more mundane answer is funnier in that, like, it's they true. spent an incredible amount of money on like the design and manufacture of this useless machine in order to try and sell $8 packages of chopped up vegetables. And for once the people of the United States said, no, fuck you. <laughs> I refuse. It's true. It's true. <laughs> there is a line and this is the line. <laughs> and I'm so proud. <laughs> Haven't been proud since, though. No, definitely. Oh, no, 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 no. I like this one because it's just, it's dumb in an innocuous way, I hope. I hope yeah. it's not in an alien invasion. Right. If it is, it would be very small. I think, like, 12 people bought this thing. Because <laughs> only 12 failed. people could afford it. Seriously. Yeah. 
It was originally seven hundred dollars, by the way, and Jesus. then it got bumped down to four hundred. So if you're gonna spend four hundred dollars, buy that. Um... Buy, like, a Vitamix or something, like, an actual tool yeah, that does good stuff. Um, okay, so this is kind of leads into a little game that I have for you guys to close yes. out our episode. So, um, like Juicero kind of reinventing something that didn't need to be reinvented, uh, the Juicer, um, it is now just a punchline that Silicon Valley startups keep um, reinventing things that already exist and have existed and have been used by us gutter plebes uh, for a very long time. (laughs) Um, Public services, things like that. So um, I have a list of things. I'm going to read off a description of the product and um, that as being advertised by the Silicon Valley company. And you guys just have to guess what it is that they're reinventing. What is it that already exists that they're trying to recreate? Okay, let's take turns because I feel like I have like a Jeopardy buzzer in my hand and I'm going to get really aggressive if we're like competing to say the answer first. So Rebecca, start, you go first. Okay. Just start cussing out Rebecca. <laughs> I'm feeling very worked up about this. It's very important. Very important. Cool. Okay, so here's the first one. And some maybe you guys heard of some of these. I tried to pick ones that we hadn't talked about in the Lady Science Slack. So... We'll see. Um, Okay. Pause Pod by Fast Company is a, quote, portable private pop-up space free from stressful moments. It is meant to create a space for relaxation or meditation in the midst of a stressful workspace. In the words of one of the inventors, Adam Mickelson, quote, I would say we want to democratize the pause or take back the pause as an event. pause needed to be democratized what Um, is the pause i thought that was menopause what yeah (laughs) that's what i thought but Um, i guess it's not this has nothing to do with menstruation if that gives you a clue no i think i know it's a tent is it a tent yeah it's a tent it's a tent (laughs) it's a tent and so the pictures of these things if you have not googled them please google them it's just like some dude sitting in the middle of his office like with a little tent and he's just like laying in it I mean, I do kind of love the idea of having a tent in my office that I can go sit in, but I don't need to buy a pause pod. I can just go get a tent. (laughs) Isn't this also sort of reinventing, um, like, the office itself? Yes. Do you work in an open plan and have to listen to 800 other people talking on the phone for eight hours a day nonstop? You can set up this tent behind your desk. It's just a tent. Yeah. I can't I'm sorry, imagine. I Googled it. Oh, are you looking at the picture, Rebecca? <laughs> oh, yeah, I want to see it. Guys, the tent. I can't imagine what my coworkers would say if I just like popped that in the middle of the aisle next to my cube. <laughs> I need everybody who's listening, unless you're driving, to go take a look at this this picture of the pause pod. Yep. I like this how it has the extension for your feet so that you can lay down even though the tent is too small. So it just has like a little rectangular. Yes. Yeah. And it looks like it's not even tall enough to sit up in. Like if you just wanted to sit like cross leg in it, it you, I don't think you can do it. I think you have to lay down. Unless you're very short. Okay, so uh Anna, 
Your description is very short because I couldn't give any more description of this one because it was very obvious what it was. Like there was not even really a whole lot of like masking it. So oh, wow. <laughs> uh, Makespace is a quote cloud storage for physical stuff. Are you are you shitting me? <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Okay, so there it's um like a storage unit like complex, yep. right? Yep, it's a storage locker. <laughs> what? Wait, what do they call it? Makespace? Makespace. So um, it's an app. <laughs> and you like what? take an inventory of all of your stuff that you want to be taken. And you keep it in the cloud. And then someone comes and picks it up, drops it off. And you can keep inventory on your phone. So if you want something out of your storage unit, you can like go into your cloud of physical stuff. And someone will come bring it to you. But it's a storage locker. It's just a storage locker. Right. And the app thing is, I believe, like, certain storage companies offer that service anyway, where you say, right, it's right. Like extra money, like, come pick up my stuff. Or, like, a moving company will do that for you as well. Yeah. If you pay them money. true. Okay. So, Rebecca, here's your next one. Excellent. We live, one word, is a co-living network. We live rentals are fully furnished apartments with common areas where inhabitants can socialize, do laundry, and cook meals. We live says that it is quote a new way of living built on community. What are they reinventing? It's a dorm. Yeah, more specifically, roommates. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're reinventing just what it means to live with another person in any space, really. Right. House, right. dorm, apartment. You have communal spaces, like a living yeah. room, a kitchen with food in it. The food room, if you will. <laughs> food room is one word. Food room has to be one word. Yeah. The food room where the, all the food shakes are. <laughs> and this is an offshoot of, I think, WeWork, which is a co-working right. space. And the we live used to be above the co-working space, like in the same God. buildings or whatever. <sighs> Yeah, I remember reading about this when it was like, uh, there was like a New York Times or New Yorker thing about it. I don't remember, but it was like, uh, I think the first one was in San Francisco. They're still really, really expensive and you just get like a really small bedroom and then you have to deal with like eight or ten other people using the kitchen that you're trying to use at the right. same time. Right. Like, I, I feel like there has been, like, this, yeah, abundance of different different kinds of, like, essentially reinvented um, SROs or, like, dorms for grown-ups um, that have come up. And, of course, the underlying thing of all of that is that it's impossible to afford housing anywhere. And so we have to, like, create all of these, like, micro-living experiences or whatever. Um, because people can't afford no. to live in even, like, a normal apartment or, like, have any kind of normal, like, space in the way that, like, society had previously decided was what we were supposed to do. And, and that's just, yeah. I was gonna say also that, like, until this became such a serious like crisis like 21st century crisis for americans i guess or i mean it always has been for people who don't have money but now it's like people who live in san francisco who have money have to have roommates and so now right. we're worried about the housing crisis oh yeah but like 
we as Americans have spent a whole lot of time denigrating people in other countries who live in really high density situations, like people who live in like in Tokyo or Hong Kong. We have like shit all over them for being like, I can't believe they live in such tiny apartments and that they have to share things with other people. We would never do that in America. And now it's like, now we're reinventing a new way to like commune yeah. with with people. And we always find some way to to insist that even when we're in, in crisis and even when we're doing something that we have previously denigrated other people for, then it is an outgrowth of uh, American ingenuity and the superiority of our culture. And it makes me crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And denigrated people like in this country too, often people who aren't white or who are poor. Um, I mean, you hear about like when parts of when places are being rezoned for like to have an apartment block and people are like we don't want high density housing here which means we don't want brown people here uh and but yeah but when like tech bros who can't afford to live in san francisco even though they make a ton of money um decide to have we live spaces then then that's cool that displace more people and create more homelessness in yeah. San Francisco. <laughs> okay. So this next one, this is an app-enabled pantry box for office spaces, gyms, dorms, and apartment buildings that contain snacks and drinks and even some pharmacy items like Advil shampoo and tampons. It's a bodega, motherfuckers. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> so that's the that's the name of the company. They even just named it that. Uh, the main thing, yep. like that, it's yep. it is replacing is obviously the bodega itself and vending machines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and these things, like you, you can't pay with cash. Like you have to, like, I think, mean, pay with the app or something like that. Right. And. Uh, it, uh, I know the company came under like a lot of heat for naming it Bodega, and their, I guess, quote-unquote apology letter was like, oh, well, we pulled Latino uh, communities, and they were fine with it, mostly. 97% were fine. Yeah, I remember that. Oh. <laughs> uh. But yeah, even like getting, like setting aside all of the racism involved in the branding of that, yeah, they, it's, it's a vending machine. It's a vending machine you can't use unless you have a smartphone. A yeah. So if you're poor, you're just, you're yeah. as well. And anyway, yeah. it would be in the lobby of like a gym you can't afford or an apartment building you could never afford to live in anyway. So yeah, like it's just another way to keep like the pores out by putting their dirty, filthy change into the vending machine slot, I guess. <laughs> and also so that you who are not a poor, don't have to encounter any poors who might yeah. be in the bodega. Yeah. yeah. It's just another way to, yeah. like, make sure that all of your, you know, white people spaces are safe from the poors and they can't... If you need deodorant, you shouldn't have to see somebody who makes less money than you out in public. <laughs> well, because only poor people have to use deodorant. Every Everyone else doesn't sweat or poop. <laughs> <laughs> but if we did, I didn't want any to see me buying the deodorant, right. I guess. <laughs> well, we, we, okay. have, we have to, like, the pores can't know that, that the non-pores are just like them. Yeah. That have gross bodies just like the rest of yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We broke Layla. <laughs> I was trying to make a joke about my sweating problem, and I 
<laughs> you just <laughs> choked up. <laughs> anyway, I have a sweating problem. Joke speaks for itself. <laughs> um, okay, Rebecca. Uh, I just have two more left. So, um, Cooperative Capital is a startup that allows people to pool small amounts of money, vote on how they want to invest it to improve their neighborhoods, and then generate returns. What are they reinventing? Taxes! <laughs> the government! I think, this, I think this one's my favorite. I think because this is just like, just like peak, like... <gasps> capitalism yeah <laughs> yeah this is like peak late late stage capitalism hellscape that we all live in oh my god <laughs> like i mean this is just the, there's not anything else to explain about this like the, this is taxes this is what taxes are yep yes this is what your like <laughs> municipal government does yep they're already there <laughs> you can just go t- you can go vote already in a <laughs> place and tell them what to do yep 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 <laughs> all right last one um so michael nielsen a research fellow at y combinator research which i don't know what that is i just know that that's where he is uh found a way to hack the brain which is a method of breaking down new fields of information into key bits of information and then arranging these facts and concepts into a hierarchy of knowledge to commit to memory, and then putting them onto slides. What are they? Uh, these are flashcards or otherwise note cards, correct? Yeah, flashcards. <laughs> yep. This one made me feel a little crazy. Like, it made me feel a bit hysterical. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is how, like, I learned how to read. This is how I learned math. <laughs> Was through flashcards. I ended up, I created my own flashcards throughout my entire education. Um, I, like, even the digital aspect of this, like, putting them online and being able to click through your flashcards. Has already been done. Right. We had these, a version of that in my elementary school when I was learning how to type. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is, like, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Joy, about how, like, uh, these, like, learning applications for computing are as old as computing itself like yes are you yeah. seriously trying to say like uh, i've i've hacked the brain oh man come on socrates made his students do flashcards <laughs> come on <laughs> what what i don't <sighs> this whole podcast has made me feel very upset i'm so, i'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. I didn't even, like, get to to all the ones, like, about, like, growing your own human cells, (laughs) sperm counting, (laughs) vampirism. We should mention that, like, you, like, what you were attempting to do in the first place was make up scary-sounding fake startups, and then you found out that the scary-sounding things you made up were already happening. (laughs) Yeah, I got scared and I stopped. <laughs> Does anyone have anything else they want to say before we close? Uh, down with capitalism, fully automated luxury gay space communism now and forever. Well, if you go live in a Wii space. <laughs> or a that's, me space, what is that called? That's not what a I pod want. Space, a pause space? A Wii live. Space? Sorry. 
We live. Now we're just like mashing everything together. <laughs> Pod live in the food space. <laughs> I do feel like if you lived in a We Live apartment, you would really, really need a pause space. <laughs> yeah, like Anna said, create just like a huge Voltron of yep. startup ideas. I am assuming that's what it's like to live in San Francisco right now. Is to live in a Voltron of startup ideas? Yeah, you live yeah. above a WeWork in your Wii space and you have your pause pod and then you go into the shared kitchen and you turn on the Juicero uh, and you make yourself a food shake and then you pack a soylent to take to work, which is downstairs. And then you get some deodorant from the lobby, from the bodega in the lobby. And then you write um, you write a Google or you you take like a lift line to dinner instead of the bus. <laughs> uh, okay, well, um, we'll go ahead and wrap up. <laughs> <laughs> if you liked our episode today, which you know maybe hit or miss with this one, uh, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts so that new listeners can find us. Uh, if you have questions about the segments today, you can tweet us at, at @ladyxscience or hashtag LadyScipod. For show notes, episode transcripts to sign up for our monthly newsletter, read monthly issues, pitch us an idea, and more, visit ladyscience.com. We are an independent magazine, so we depend on the support from our readers and listeners. If you can support us through a monthly donation with Patreon or through a one-time donation, we'd really appreciate it. Every little bit counts. Just visit ladyscience.com donate. And until next time, you can find us on Facebook at at ladysciencemag and on Twitter and Instagram at, at LadyXScience. 